I think of how can you successfully fail? How can you do successful failures? And successful failures is really important. I think I had someone said they were really beating themselves up and they were saying, man, why can't I be successful? I got all these people I see, they're not smarter than me, but they're more successful. And I, I was like, intuitively, I just kind of heard a voice say, I think he's just scared to fail. So to check that voice, I said, well, how many times have you failed? He's like, I failed before. He's like, have you failed more than 10 times? He's like, no. I was like, well, then you haven't failed enough yet. Welcome to another episode of Success Through Failure. This is your host, Jim Harshaw Jr. And today I bring you Dane Maxwell. This is a funny story. So when I first heard of Dane, it was about eight years ago and I was closing down my business called Riot Sports Marketing. I had built a software, but I didn't build it the right way. This was Jim never having built a software before, raised angel capital and had no idea, literally no idea how to build a software. I had an offshore team who did all the development of building the actual software itself. And it's called a SaaS, S-A-A-S, software as a service. It's just sort of a term. So I'll refer to that and Dane refers to that in the episode quite a few times. But as I look back, I built it totally the wrong way, right? I really didn't find the way that the customer wanted this solution to be built. I identified the pain, but I didn't build this the right way. When I was shutting the business down, I discovered Dane Maxwell. I discovered a program that he started called The Foundation. It's a six-month program designed to teach entrepreneurs how to build a profitable SaaS business. And he currently owns multi-million dollar SaaS businesses and he teaches people he to, to build these. And I was like out of money, out of time, out of energy. I was broke and broken at that point and uh, went and got a job and a job that I was very happy in, by the way. And he makes a comment early on in the episode that you'll see that that might sting just a little bit. And I asked him about that and I pushed back on it a little bit and you'll see kind of the reaction that he gives. But but I want you to, like I did, take your ego out of it and really listen to what he's talking about because this guy is passionate and he's knowledgeable and he helped people build 15 businesses that are, these people are now millionaires and dozens of them are maybe even hundreds, but I, I know at least dozens have six-figure businesses now. And he's pretty much has this system, this process for building a business down Pat. It's pretty fascinating and he's very passionate about it. And so when I, I receive these emails in my inbox every day of people trying to solicit themselves or they hire companies who solicit people like me who host a podcast for getting their client on my show. And I, I don't even open most of them, but I saw Dane Maxwell's name come through. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is the guy. This is that guy who, you know, I discovered his program years ago and really was fascinating to learn about it. So I was super excited to actually get him on the show. He's an incredible entrepreneur, has incredible insights, and he's a unique individual. So I, I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Whether you want to be an entrepreneur or not, this is going to open your mind to the power of questions. And this, gosh, this came up in many of my episodes, not the least of which are my episodes with Tim Ferriss, episodes 246 and 247, where uh, part one and part two of my interview with Tim, where we talk about these absurd questions and the power of questions. And that is really the, the magic behind success for so many people and the magic behind the success for Dane and all of his clients as well. So without further ado, let's dive into my interview interview with the one and only Dane Maxwell. Dane, welcome to the show. Let's do something, man. Let's do this. So why don't we just start with this? Give us a little bit about your background. Tell us where you grew up and sort of short version of how you got from there to here. Awkward kid most of my life. Homeschooled, continued to keep me awkward, insatiably curious. 
I'd ask my mom, my mom had painters in her house. I'd ask why they paint up and down instead of left or right or sold cookies to construction workers and pop. That was scary. Walk up to the curb. You guys want some cookies and pop? <laughs> and pop. So I called it pop growing up too, by the way. So I'm from Pittsburgh. But, uh, most people call it soda. Uh, so if you're listening, he's talking about soda, but we call it pop. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> That's a unique drug, actually. Kind of like ecstasy. No, I'm just kidding. They're scary folks. And they're like, I think they just bought out of sure guilt and or like, dang, this kid's doing it. Okay. Yeah, sure. I'll buy some cookies and pop. And then started another, my first rental video game business with my three Sega games. I rented it to my friend and charged him a late fee. Is he still a friend? <laughs> no, he's not. Darn. I was like, dude, this is three days late. You got to pay me a late fee. <laughs> oh my God. Then I got into the public school system and just like joined group think and was must succeed employee, must have high ACT, must get into college, must get laid for acceptance from male friends, all these like different beliefs, none of which I ever really wanted to do, but I did in light of so social programming. Then I woke up to how, what I would consider the idiocy of being an employee, like it's literally the dumbest thing I could do. One source of income, exchange my time for income, no control over my raises, no control over if I keep my job. It just seemed like taxed on my income before I get it. I was just like, this is the dumbest thing I could do for the safety of my family, personally for me. And so I was like, I just couldn't touch employee after that. So with such a fervent, clear thing, that's like, dude, there's nothing that could make me happy as an employee, given those things at that time, I could probably wrench my way. No, I don't think I could. I tried to pretend to be an employee for a moment, just there for a second. For me, it didn't work. So what do, you, what do you say to the person who's listening, who's an employee, who's offended by that? Well, that's really your own mind. You're not offended. In terms of idiocy and you're talking about, obviously that's for yourself. Yeah. But a lot of people are happy doing that, right? Yeah. For me, safety of my family is number one priority. And I can't create safety for my family on one source of income and exchanging my time for income. So safety of my family is such a high priority. And I'm just more importantly, I'm miserable as an employee. If you're really, really happy as an employee, I'm actually envious of you in some ways because I am like just so indoctrinated into the world of entrepreneurship that I think about it 24 seven and I love it. And it also has its challenges. At six o'clock, my brain doesn't really turn off sometimes. I keep my phone on airplane mode. I got family time marked at seven o'clock, but I'll notice the thoughts still creep in. You know, I do bring work with me, but it's not painful thinking. The thoughts that I'm thinking about business make me so happy that I keep thinking about it. If you are happy as an employee, then I think you've got me beat because happiness is way more important than if you're an entrepreneur or an employee. So what I would say is like, man, if you're happy, good job. And the other thing, because your worth doesn't depend on being an entrepreneur or employee. In fact, worth is just a, such a, a crap concept to begin with. The fact that there's something that makes you worthy and something that doesn't make you worthy. There's a land beyond all of that that you can live where you're just living for the sake of enjoying life. And I just really enjoy entrepreneurship. But the way that I do entrepreneurship makes it so enjoyable for me. Most entrepreneurs, like I think, are stuck in survival-based emotions, hustling to get their business going. And for me, entrepreneurship is generally a very peaceful world because I'm not taking great risks. I'm not coming up with product ideas. I'm not building my products. I'm an owner. I'm not an expert. Most people think of entrepreneurship as being an expert, but that's just a glorified employee. So 
here's what I say. If you love being an employee, just don't depend on one source of income. You can diversify your income. You can build a very nice, safe real estate investment portfolio. Most employees with their income, if they're disciplined, they could buy one rental property a year and in 15 years have 15 rental properties and you know, one to $3 million in equity and a nice source of passive income. And then they get to wake up and do every day something they do every day that they love. But I tend to talk to myself with a little bit more of an angry voice, <laughs> a little bit more of a critical voice. So when I'm thinking about looking at being an employee and I'm like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. How in the world is this attractive to people? That's what I thought. And that was when I was 21 years old. So I'm 36 now. And this is something that obviously runs deep in you. I love entrepreneurship as well. It's something I'm just built multiple businesses over the years and just I can be consumed by them. And it's absolutely fulfilling. It's, I went too far probably personally in being in love with my business and my last business. And, and as I told the listeners before this, and you and I talked off air, I built a business that wasn't sustainable. And, and I, gosh, I wish I'd have learned about your system and your program before I kind of ran that business and, and almost my life into the ground, uh, relationships, health, everything. And you said that to me before. And if I could say, like, I would look at that as a positive experience, Jim. Oh, I do. Oh, good. Okay. The value that I've gotten from it, if I didn't go through that, I wouldn't be where I'm at now. And if I didn't go through that, I wouldn't be able to help people in the way I can help them right now. I mean, that's good. I truly internalize failure. And I'm not so sure that when I started the podcast, I logically believed in success through failure. <laughs> but I didn't emotionally. It was like, that was kind of okay for other people. But now I I truly and honestly, deep down and emotionally believe in the value of failure. You don't chase it. You don't want it, right? It's not what you pursue, but it's extremely valuable. It's information, right? You can look at that in any area of your life, whether it's relationships or health and wellness or, you know, wealth, career, work, whatever. There's so much value. And actually, Pointing out just, you know, for the listener who listened to my Tim Ferriss episodes, which were episode 246, 247, when I interviewed him, he talked about failure is not in and of itself valuable. It's the questions you ask yourself and what you learn from that failure, right? And I know failure is a big part of building a business. You're a millionaire maker, right? You've made many over a dozen millionaires and, and hundreds of people who have six figure businesses in what you do. What's the role and value of failure? in that business building process or any business building process for that matter. So I want to say the last thing I ever want to do on purpose is shame anybody for their decisions. So I'm still, you know, kind of reflecting on this employee comment. Yeah. And I'm still learning to articulate these things as well as I go. And what I just want to say is if I kind of step into the kindness of self, kindness of expression space, if I look at the facts of being an employee, for me, it just made me feel incredibly vulnerable and incredibly unsafe. Like I just felt too vulnerable and too unsafe as an employee. And I wanted to provide more protection for my future. So I did that. Now I have employees. And if you want to venture into the land of entrepreneurship, there are skills you have to build that are quite uncomfortable for people to learn. But most people that are struggling that come to me without fail so far, they're gifted technicians and they don't know how to sell. And if you don't know how to sell, you will likely be forever dependent on someone else for an income the rest of your life. This might be great if you're in a high demand profession like software developers, but if you don't know how to sell, you're in a vulnerable position. You know, I got bullied a lot growing up and stuff. And so being in vulnerable positions for me 
was a little more heightened than it might be for someone else. And what I understood about being an employee and what I understood how safe entrepreneurship can be if you do it correctly, it was just a, a logical conclusion. But if anybody felt shame for their decision to be an employee, please accept this as my apology. One of the things it's really important if you do choose employee, see if you can build ownership every day or the time that you're spending every day, you're able to invest in equity. With that being in mind, the question you asked me was around failure, correct? Yes. Yeah. The role of failure, right? The role of failure and adversity and setbacks through the business building process. Most of the people that I see that struggle in business and fail in business actually are their own worst enemy. They like, they almost, it's their fault they failed, really. And with the image that I have in my mind, Jeff Bezos has a term called successful failure. You know, they lost $150 million launching some sort of phone, but the 150 million, and he's like writing his letter to his shareholders. He's like, hey guys, lost 150 million. All right, good day. <laughs> like $150 million. <laughs> That's not chump change. No, the technology that they built, they leveraged into what's now, I think, Alexa, which has been a billion dollar product. Now, people don't have $150 million to fail, but I think of how can you successfully fail? How can you do successful failures? And successful failures is really important. I think I had someone said they were really beating themselves up and they were saying, man, why can't I be successful? I got all these people I see, they're not smarter than me, but they're more successful. And I, I was like, intuitively, I just kind of heard a voice say, I think he's just scared to fail. So to check that voice, I said, well, how many times have you failed? He's like, I failed before. He's like, have you failed more than 10 times? He's like, no. I was like, well, then you haven't failed enough yet. That's the only difference between the someone who's not smarter. So when you look at the emotional experience of failure, it can be devastating if you're not living in the right context. Failure can be devastating if you're not in the right context. If your context is, I'm going to be successful at entrepreneurship no matter what, and where I'm going is great, and you're very firm on that context, a little blip of a product not working ain't going to matter to you. But if you're in a context that is, I have only one chance to succeed, we bring that identity to our projects. I only have one chance for this to work. I mean, Colonel Sanders was like 60 some years old before he finally launched KFC. But if you think about starting a business, um, you don't even know this, unconsciously it fires, I only have one chance for this to work. So now remember you said, you mentioned like being a millionaire maker, for example. So quite a few of my students now are respectively at the top of their fields. And they're not respectively at the top of their fields because of what they know, because of what I taught them. They're respectively at the top of their fields because of how they relate to life and how they do things. I could give, let's say if you take software developers, they think that the software product idea is what makes the business successful. They think it's the what. But you could give the same idea to 10 different people and you'll see it get implemented 10 different ways because of how they do it. So it's not what, but how like the beginner will say, what niche do I pick? What, 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 what niche? What idea? What pain? What, 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 what? And the brain and behind that is usually an inner identity of I only have one chance. Everybody else gets to be successful, but I don't. Everyone else is better than me. I suck at this. I'm not worthy at helping people. And I really don't believe in myself fully. And that's a pretty hard pill to swallow. So I'm just going to keep buying courses and keep trying to look at things to see if they can somehow fix the lack of belief I have in myself. So I get these students that come in that have these things going on. And then we literally just reshift the orientation with these identities and they just, they take off. They don't need much else. That's why these guys become so successful so quickly. So with a proper healthy relationship with our inner identities, my big identities that like they'll just wipe me out in the middle of work sessions are believing that I'm ugly 
and believing that I'm worthless. It's not conscious. It's just unconscious. Likely from bullying. Likely from just think like just traumatic things growing up. But where it comes from, I mean, I've explored that in enough therapy sessions that if that was the reason, I'd probably be good with it by now. So now what do I do? If I'm working on a project that's meaningful to me, like I was today, I'm launching a, a new community of entrepreneurs building businesses together during COVID. And it means a lot to me, but it's bringing up paralyzing fear to work on. So now that I under, usually I would just stop and maybe like fire up a video game and wait for that to calm down and then try and work for a half an hour until the emotional turmoil gets too much. But now knowing what I know, I know that when I take action, identity gets triggered an inner identity, which means the character of who I think I am. So I'm working on a meaningful project and then I can't hear anything, but I just shut down. So I write down the task. It's even difficult to write the task down. That's how triggering it is. In fact, I feel my face get red right now. Task, creating the starters community, feeling deep paralysis, inner identity, because the paralysis is coming from an inner identity, complete worthlessness and ugly. Okay. The key to being free from what I've seen and what I've learned and the people I've studied under is not how quickly I can fix worthlessness or ugly, but how okay I can be with those feelings being here. Mm. And man, so I'm like, I'm 30% okay with these. (laughs) Worthlessness and ugly, those aren't really my jam. I don't really like these ones. So, but I'm honest about it. And so then I just hang out with the fact that I'm only at 30% starts going up to 50%. Then it gets up to 65%. Then all of a sudden, by staying with worthlessness and ugly, just being okay with them, trying everything I can to be okay that they're there, all of a sudden I pop. And I pop out. I exit the identity altogether. And what happens is I'm like, oh my God, everything's okay. Whoa, no, no, no. Not, Not even okay. Like everything is so deeply okay. Like there's not even a realm of possibility that I'm ugly or a realm of possibility that I'm even worthless. In fact, those concepts only exist within the context of that identity to get alone. And then I pop out of it. And when I'm like, oh my God, I'm okay. I become free from the identity. If something doesn't work, something doesn't work. It's no longer failure. So if you have context and you have identity, then you're just free and you're just working. And then you're like Edison, you know, 10,000 times to do a light bulb. And we know it was 10,000 because his experiment sheets only had a thousand rows on them or a hundred rows. And he had a hundred to a hundred of these. And he's like, oh, that's 10,000 times we tried to do a light bulb. But failure was never even in his because it's, it's about identity and context. So where are you going? If you have that strong vision, that makes a big difference. And this idea of just purely accepting these feelings, right? Like, I interviewed Dr. Stephen Hayes, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. And it sounds a lot like that. It's like accepting who we are. Who we think we are. Who we think we are. Which is still not who we are. Right. And it's that allowing it and then letting it go is a powerful way forward. Because what we're talking about is dealing with fears. And I want to point out to the listener, like you have fears. We all have fears. Like there's something inside of you that's holding you back. You know, me too, and, and Dane as well. Like, there are these things that hold us back inside these fears. And, and what we want is often on the other side of that fear. So, seeing what, Dane, you know, listening to what Dane just, just talked about is a strategy for facing it, right? Because you can't build the business that you've built, Dane. You can't have the freedom that you want. You can't guide people to live 
the way that they want to live by building these businesses and, and becoming entrepreneurs in, in this fulfilling way that you've allowed them to do, guided them to. You can't create this good in the world that comes from Dane Maxwell without that. And I want to point that out to the listener. Like, it's the same with you. You have to fully allow yourself. You have to identify that fear, look at it, stare it in the face, and realize it's probably not true, just like those other limiting beliefs you have, and move past it, right? And that's going to allow you to live. Listen, whether it's building a business or healing your relationship or whatever else it is in your life. And what Dane, what you have done is created this business that creates freedom and all these amazing things for people. And I found a Reddit post, actually, Connor Laprisi, who is my intern right now, he found a great quote for Doug something up on Reddit from 2012 that I want to read back to you, Dane. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to I want you to tell me if this is still relevant for you and just kind of how this lands with you. This is a post that you made on Reddit in 2012, when you first kind of started the foundation and someone said this. So they asked you, you know, why are you starting the foundation, your business, and not scaling one of your other SaaS companies? And this was your response. You said, quote, my deeper reason for living is to help others find freedom. For me, I believe freedom is kindness and kindness is freedom, especially personally. Kindness to yourself is the ultimate freedom. It feels so, so freeing. When I'm quiet and ask my heart what it wants, it tells me to help others find this freedom. Tell us about that. I sound kind of smart. <laughs> Not really good there, didn't it? <laughs> who was that guy? Uh, who was that guy? You know, that was very true for me at the time. I mean, the kindness and freedom, freedom and kindness and stuff is still very true. The context like where my heart is changing and changed is, is quite different now. Like I went through a phase where helping other people find freedom was more important than me finding my own. And now I'd say finding my own freedom is probably my top priority. And that just so happens to be in the expression of service towards others, but I'm not forgetting myself as much. I still do as then, but I think as I've allowed myself to enjoy what I enjoy, I really like software as a service a lot. Like I feel like a a six-year-old kid when I'm building those SaaS products. They're just, they mean so much to me. It's like a, it's like an art form. I really do like that. And it, you know, I get fortunate enough to be working in a model that is the greatest wealth creation vehicle of human, of mankind is software as a service. It's a nice benefit. For the listener who's not sold, maybe they have some other business idea or that's just not kind of their thing, maybe, or they haven't thought of it, right? They just haven't thought of this, like software as a service, sorry. Why is that a good idea? And how is it a good idea? How can it be done? And, you know, this is really getting back to your book, you know, starting from nothing or uh, start from zero, right? Yeah, start from zero. Tell us about that and why this is a good idea and, and, and why people should consider it. Well, my framework of building business comes down to a clear customer wants a clear result, so we create a clear mechanism for them. So Weight Watchers is women around 40, plus or minus 10 years. The result is they want to lose 10 pounds. The mechanism is a point counting system. In under 10 seconds, I just articulated to you a billion-dollar business. Dave Ramsey's clear customer is families, usually. The result is they want to become debt-free. The mechanism is the debt snowball. Dave Ramsey's one of the top guys in the finance world, and he's able to articulate that clearly. If you go to weightwatchers.com and you go to daveramsey.com, there's a good chance you're going to see the picture of their customer with the result of losing weight or becoming debt-free. Most financial gurus and weight loss people aren't doing that. They're talking about their diet. They're talking about this. 
I started doing cold showers. You couldn't get me to get in a cold shower for the life of me. When I started hearing about the results of the cold shower, 20 to 30 uh, beats per minute, lower heart rate. It, it activates the adrenal axis, which shocks your system because it's not out in nature all the time to prevent it from getting illness. It helps you turn your body into a fat burning machine all day if you tend to cold shower in the morning. Like, all these benefits of cold showers, like, okay, I'll get into cold shower because of the results. Clear customer wants clear results. So we use clear mechanism of shower, um, healthier and happier life. It's accessing like, you know, parts of my brain that get stuck in a mild depressive state or, you know, the parts of my brain that are just stuck in fear. You get in a cold shower, it activates those deep feelings and man, it's credible. But, you know, I wouldn't get in one of those for years. Now, when it comes to software, the framework's the same. You got a clear customer that wants a clear result. So now you have a mechanism. The important distinction with how I build businesses and how I really urge people to build businesses is that they outsource the creation of the mechanism. So if your clear customer is a parrot owner and they want the parrot to behave and not bite them, they would outsource a parrot behavior training program to a parrot expert that they would find at a parrot store in their local town. Give the parrot guy 20% of the profits of that business, you're now in business because you're not an expert, you're an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur's sell, an entrepreneur's outsource very, very well. And those two skills alone create successful entrepreneurship. When it comes to SaaS now, you find a, a customer, the result is some benefit. And if the mechanism is software, you now outsource the development team. The key distinction with SaaS is factually speaking, it's the most lucrative business, highest valuation business in the world. So if you have a, a $1 million per year SaaS business, you can sell it at a minimum of 3x revenue. That's $3 million. If you have a $1 million per year physical goods business, you can sell that for usually minimum or a good price as a three times profit. So you could take, you could build, you could spend all your time building a million dollar per year clothing store and make a million dollars and sell it for 1.2 if you have $400,000 in profit, or you could spend your time building software and sell that for 3 million. By the way, you're making a lot of money along the way if you're doing it right, but it's not something you want to jump into because the nuances of it will eat you alive. You know, I'm building a SaaS project right now with a pretty well-known guy in the entrepreneurial space, and he lost a million dollars building a software product. And I asked him, how he did it. Because remember, it's not what, it's not how, it's not what, it's how. And he said, well, the developers told me the cost it would take. And so we kept doing that. And they said, it's going to be 60 more grand here and 60 more grand here. And I said, do you remember when Steve Jobs threw like a plastic thing on a table or whatever? And he said, put a computer in that. And they're like, we can't do that. And he said, figure it out. And then the iMac was born. That's what you need to do with your software. You say, we've got 50 grand and we got this. How do we do it in that? And that changes. I mean, you'll save we just, um, we just negotiated with the developer that's building this new product um, and found such a happy win-win where we'll save about five grand. Well, we're going to get, we build software products in 12 weeks with one designer and one developer for one customer. We get it working for one customer. We add another customer. We get a few more features. We add a customer, we get a few features. And within six months, we got a pretty cool product and we built it fairly risk-free. How you do it's way more important than the what of software. By the way, that same process works really good if you're doing parrots. Get the training program, get it to one person, iterate the course, iterate the course until after six months, you've got a great parrot training program. How you do it so much more important than what it is. By the way, my favorite way to sell stuff is writing out programs in Google Docs and then sending it to the customer and asking them, Dad, do you want this program on a scale of one to 10 when you read it? And if it's not a 10, what would make it a 10? Great question. Yeah. And I just asked that question because I'm afraid of failure. I don't want it to fail. It's not fun to fail. So how can we prevent this failure? Mitigate the risk, right? Yeah. So they do that and they reply back to like, you know, it's an eight out of 10. I got burned on programs like this in the past. 
I actually, so I did this with the starters community. I wrote a letter, it's like 13 pages, and I sent it to people that are asking for, they're asking me, they're clear customers, someone who read my book. The clear result is they want a community of people. They don't want to do it alone. And so, well, they want a business that they don't have to work in. That's the real result. And they're feeling alone. And so the mechanism is community. All right, so uh, that's, that's close enough. So I write the letter and I send it to him and I ask, so how much do you want it? And he's like, you know, I want it as an eight. And like, here's why it wasn't a 10. I wasn't able to picture what the program was. Is it a Facebook group? What's a Zoom room? What do those things mean? Plus, am I going to be the only member that's taking action in this group? Like, what if I'm the person taking action and like, it's just dead and empty? And I was like, very good. All right, go back to the letter. It's like, all right, guys, so what you're going to get in this group is you're going to get a really active Facebook group. You're also going to get a virtual chat room that you can drop into anytime. I didn't call it Zoom anymore. Right. And then I said, and listen, if you're wondering if you're going to be the only person active in this group, we actually kick people out who aren't active. We're creating a three strikes and you're out policy. If you haven't demonstrated that you've taken action in at least three weeks, you'll be removed from the program. They literally created this super cool three week, three strikes and you're out, you're kicked out from the community by asking this process because it's not the what, it is definitely the how. And you can come like, Tim is amazing at these questions he asks. Like, how do you work in two hours a week? Ooh, that's a how question. So what I try to do is I try to teach people how. So you see now software as a service, we have my most successful SaaS business is paperlesspipeline.com. And that's so close to my heart. And it's just such a remarkable product. If you go to paperlesspipeline.com, it's like, wow. You know, I built that up to $700,000 a year and then I handed it off to the CEO and he's grown it to beyond 2 million and it's growing and it's doing really well. And, but it had to be a clear customer, a clear result and a clear mechanism. And those seeds had to be in place. It had to be Weight Watchers good and Weight Watchers clear to go that distance. Because I had built seven other software products, but those three things had, they were good, but they'd have little holes in them here and there. And the SaaS business model that $2 million, that comes from taking really good care of like 1,200 customers. We only have 1,200 customers. We don't have to go out and find new customers to keep making money. We get a sale once, we take care of them. Like imagine like if you had a customer that came in and bought from you and you knew they would keep buying for 10 years, how much better that would feel than if you got someone buy from you once. That's to me, one of the best reasons why software and service is remarkable. Now, if you look at Clay Collins, who transferred from information marketing, to lead pages. If you look at ClickFunnels and Russell Brunson, who transformed from information marketing to SaaS, you look at some of the top marketers in the world, they're launching SaaS businesses because it's just such high reward for the effort. And when you get it right, now if you go out and hire a software team and they're quoting you prices and you got to do this and they'll, no, no, no. You want to get your first software product built in 12 weeks for your first user and maximum 30 grand, maximum 30 grand. I built paperless pipeline for under the first version in eight weeks for under 10 grand. Wow. Right. And that comes from having a very clear customer with a very clear result. So you don't get lost in feature land, which is the same process for a parrot training program. So now we get people that come to us and they ask, so what niche should I pick? What niche should I pick? And the question usually triggers me, you know, part of me wants to punch them in the face and be like, Oh, you want a button to push? Well, very good. You can go down the street and ask that question down here. Well, then I get someone that comes in front of me and they're like, listen, man, I want to know how to do this. And I'm like, welcome aboard. Now, my arrogance and anger towards that question makes me an inept teacher, in my own opinion, because they're coming to me and they might not even know how to ask the question. So they're just asking where their mind's at. It's not their fault. So I take a breath in, I check my anger and arrogance and I see this person's scared. 
this person's struggling, this person wants certainty. People have been asking about what niche to pick for the longest of times. You give them a list of 50 niches, they still don't know what to do. So what I'm doing now is we're creating a framework called the one metric that you can use that will decide your niche for you. You don't have to make the decision. Let this metric make the decision. So that metric is your cost to acquire a meaningful conversation. So now you're going to go into four different niches and you're going to follow a process in all four niches. And then when, you at, when you're done with these four niches, you'll measure your cost to acquire a meaningful conversation. The niche that has the lowest cost per meaningful conversation is the niche that you now go into. So giving, they're bringing us a what and then with a lot of love after I, oh, I'm angry at this question and I'm honest with my experience. Now we're going into like writing this guide. And what's really cool about this is Start From Zero is not a place I'm looking to maximize profit. Where I'm looking to build my wealth is in SaaS. I want to crank cash in SaaS. And I want to crank a ton of results. And like, I love SaaS because I'm, I got 50,000 people using a software product every day that I feel connected to, that I'm adding value to. That's an amazing feeling. So I'll build my wealth with SaaS and then I can be more generous with Start From Zero. So the Start From Zero starters community, we're going to run it at like $1,000 a year. Get into the community. Every month you get access to my board of advisors, ask them questions. They come on every month. Then instead of charging people for secrets, we're going to give that blog, we're going to give that process of the one metric to pick a niche with. And we're going to show examples. Here's the four niches we went to. Here's the Facebook groups we went into. Here's the message we posted. Here's the lowest cost to and like, you know, we might have some content behind a portal, but for the most part, the critical pieces of content will all be free. And then if people want to join a community, it's just a thousand bucks a year. And I really like that model. It feels like from my spine outward, like the place that I've always wanted to operate from. Because, you know, I've got students now, some students of mine, like Sam Ovens was a student of mine. And he came to me when he was, you know, 22 years old and he couldn't even afford to pay $500 a month. So he borrowed his girlfriend's credit card to join the program. And now if he's telling the truth, if he's really telling the truth, it's over $30 million a year he'll do. And if I wow. was charging five grand, I don't think he would have been able to join. Maybe he would have, but my heart is really in these folks that are kind of at this level and I can come in and just go bam to their brain and like shoot straight, pierce through the heart of fear by showing how identity is creating everything and then give patterns to shift what to how. Man, now we're just, now we're in a great place. This start with questions. I believe strongly in the value of asking those questions. I mean, it sounds like that's the starting point because you talk and start from zero about building a lucrative micro business that you don't have to work in. To do that, do you have to start with the right question? Context first. Let's talk about the niche itself. Is it reaching out to those people and asking them the right question? Because here's the struggle that I had in my, in my business whenever, whenever it failed. I was asking some questions, but I was asking the question, I was identifying the pain, but I wasn't identifying how do you want the pain solved? Like if you could paint the picture, if you had a magic wand, I wasn't asking that question. Uh, so does your process for creating the successful SaaS, the business, that lucrative micro business that you don't have to work in, does it require asking those right questions? Is that part of the secret sauce? So there's the mind that creates, and then there's the mind that listens. And when we go into business building mode, we like it's pretty addicting to create, you know, it's a rush of chemicals it supposedly activates the most, the creative spark is apparently one of the most pleasurable human experiences, according to some research in universities. And it's probably why Da Vinci had all these inventions all his whole life and he never stopped because it was just so pleasurable for him to create. The creative spark is very strong. So 
we like to use it. My best businesses and my urgent like implore you to do this is to start a business with a mind that listens, not a mind that creates. So that then with that listening in place, it goes way deeper than questions, you know, because you're, you're listening for things that don't even come from questions. If you want to look like a, a billionaire, he didn't get to decide what made him a billion dollars because we don't get to decide what works and we don't and we think we do. And I still, you know, oh, I, know I know what works and then I get burned. But if you realize that in business, when you're starting something, you don't get to decide what works. Like if people really understood the heart of entrepreneurship, I feel like most everybody would want to be one because you'd be like, oh, wait, you sit and listen to someone. You find the, the pain that they're going through. You can feel their hearts in pain. Then you ask them what magic wand solution they'd want, or you ask them if they had a genie, how would they solve the problem? And they, they give you the problem. They give you the solution. And then as a humble servant, you go out and find an expert that knows how to create that solution. I mean, that's one of the most uniquely pleasurable processes that I've ever felt in my life. Yeah. Not having to be the expert and just listening to people and solving problems. And really, I mean, starting from truly zero. You know, asking questions, listening and being a humble servant. I mean, that's everything that is behind my business and, and what I love to do. So I appreciate you sharing that. And it's not a SaaS, but it is behind everything that I do. And, and when it doesn't have to be a SaaS to be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. It's not like SaaS is the worthy business and other ones aren't. It's like what sings to your soul. You know, I'm working with a software developer on a feature for something and I'm like, they're working on a feature and I'm like, oh my God, when someone uses this, they're going to be so happy. And like, Oh my God, it's going to change their, change their life. This is going to be so incredible. And then a bunch of other people are going to use it. And this is like this automatic thing that happens for me with software that like, you know, like when I'm creating a course, I don't have that same enthusiasm. Right. You know, I got, a, I put a book, this book's incredible. It's 302 pages. It's seven learning adventures. It took two years to write and five editors, you know, two years to write five editors. I can start a SAS in two days. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited about this book, but I'm more excited in, a SaaS, because SaaS is um, a book you got to really be damn near perfect with when you launch it. You know, it's got to be edited. There can't be grammatical things. With SaaS, you can have, you can launch so many errors. You just fix one little error at a time and iterate and improve. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's why I like it. Can you tell us about a time when you failed, a time where you failed and as a result, you just felt that, that self-doubt that comes with failure and how you were able to overcome it. Is there a specific instance that you can think of oh, yeah. that you can share? Yeah. So not being clear, <laughs> not being clear. So the foundation starts taking off and my partner wants to grow it into an Inc. 5,000 fastest growing company. Well, what built all of my business success, and I do mean all of it, is loving my customer, thinking about them, listening to them, you know, if I launch a, a marketing campaign with love, I send it to my customer. Hey, what do you think of this? Ah, it doesn't know. Okay, great. And I go back and modify it. Like, cause there's lo like love and listening. Like a refusal to listen is a refusal to love. Like it's like, and, and like, there are so many things that people ask me and I get like, I have unconscious arrogance to. Some of my students, most successful businesses, they turn their nose up at the idea the first time it was given it. I don't want to solve that one. And then they did. And they're like now a millionaire. And so not being clear on the foundation success or not being clear on what I wanted. So he wanted 5,000 fastest growing company. And since I wasn't clear, I was like, no, I just want to help like 500 people a year start a business, man. I don't want Inc. 5,000. But I didn't have that. So we spent three years in crisis. We hired a team of eight or 10 people and a $100,000 per month expense when I just wanted to run a 
program that helped like 500 people a year start a business and like love people and get close to them and like, you know, have a woman from Australia get on a Skype with me and say, Dane, I'm a female lumberjack. Like, do you think that I could be a successful entrepreneur? And I said, absolutely. Not only do I think that, but I think being a female lumberjack is such a unique story that you'll have an edge over people who are just a straight up boring American or something like this. And I didn't say boring. And, and we recorded that and I didn't know, but she listened to that recording every day for six months. She lost 50 pounds. She ended up leaving her husband. She rides around the world in motorcycles now and stopped being a lumberjack. And like, because of a moment I got to spend, but I wasn't clear. So with a mentor and he's like, Dane, this could be one of the biggest things in the world. 80% of people dream of starting a business at some point in their life. And you have a methodology that can allow the 80% that dream to take action. Oh my God, greed, ego, so much. Wow, I'm so cool. And I could have just been like, you know, that's tempting, but I'm pretty clear. I just want to help 500 people a year start a business. And without that clarity, man, I just got burned, lost millions of dollars, still hurts a little bit. Yeah. But I tell you, I've got clarity now, much more than I've ever done. And thank God I have it from a book by Keith Cunningham, The Road Less Stupid. And in that book, he articulates how to do thinking time sessions. And so I do those thinking time sessions and they're 45-minute sessions with powerful questions, very powerful questions that created a lot of clarity for me. Well, for the listener, you know what I'm going to say right here. If you listen to any episodes, this is uh, the value of the productive pause. And Dane, just for, for a quick reference, it's the single habit that is most common among my guests who, who share their single habit for, for success. And it's some version of, of answering questions, right? Hitting the pause button and asking powerful questions. It's, I call it, a, it's a, I define it as a short period of focused reflection around specific questions that leads to clarity of action and peace of mind. That's it. That's it. Period. Jim, do you remember like time when you were like needy before in business? Oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So we want to become completely self-reliant, not needing a damn thing from anyone. And that's the goal is like complete self-reliance. Now, because I think in every human being, myself included, we don't believe in ourselves all the way. So if we don't believe in ourselves to do something by ourselves. We'll seek that in someone else. And then we'll create this addictive loop where we think someone else is going to fix this lack of belief in ourselves. when it's really like, oh crap, it's me not believing in myself. And that's why I'm not fully self-reliant. And that can be a big jump to make. But the good news is that not believing in yourself is not a permanent thing. It's literally an emotional experience you can feel. Like you're like, oh, I don't believe in myself. That's an experience you can feel. And if you're like, okay, if you're fully okay with not believing in yourself, <sighs> you start to just be like, whoa, that's a weird concept. Believing in yourself, what's that even mean? I'm just going to mm. do stuff now. But the way to shift from neediness to self-reliance, the way that I do it is with clarity. When I have clarity, so like you have a business owner and they're like, oh, oh we need customers and we need customers. The customers, oh, we'll use Groupon. Oh, here's a digital marketing agency. They're going to help us. Oh, this is expert over here. Bring them in. And they just have all this neediness around needing more customers. In general, any business that's needy around customers, I think they usually have the same thing in common, which is they're not clear, fully crystal clear on their ideal customer. Because as soon as you become clear, listen, I'm for dissatisfied employees who have reached success in their career and are totally disillusioned and realizing that that wasn't the right path for them. I work with those people. You have that kind of clarity around a customer, then your neediness is gone. You don't like try to be for everybody. So if you're needy in any area of your life, it's, I think is a sign of lacking clarity. If you can find clarity, and that's a, not, a thing, not, a lot, not a thing a lot of people have. 
And then you have that clarity. You can look out to the world and not be like, give me, give me, give me, give me, need, 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 need. Who can help me? 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 Someone's going to help me. Someone's, oh, there it is. There it is. Wait, they didn't help me. Nope, that person didn't work. And this thing going on in the background can go like this and you can return to sovereignty and be like, dude, I don't need anybody. I'm going to be self-reliant. That's probably one of like, you said, like you asked someone about like the secret or what their big thing was and like focus, pause and reflection. And I think definitely it's that. And it's, it's um, the beautiful byproduct is that you can become a self-reliant individual. The perfect for the listener, the perfect companion episode to this conversation is my interview with Stephen Pressfield just a couple episodes ago. Go check that out because he talks about self-validation and just that clarity. So anyway, that's great stuff, Dane. For the, for the listener who's like, I'm in, uh, I'm interested, what's the action item they can take? What can they do in the next 24 to 48 hours to start moving towards this direction, whether it's building a business or finding that clarity? What's one action? Item? What's one thing or maybe two things that the listener can do? There's a very enjoyable action you can take. And it's uh, to practice the five-question framework with somebody. And it's a five-question framework that you can use to elicit a painful problem and a solution and even what they would pay for it. And you can have that for free at startfromzero.com forward slash five. It'll take you to an excerpt of my book. It's a five-page excerpt. And you'll see the five-question process. You'll see how I used it on my pregnant partner. We were watching like Silicon Valley on HBO on like a Tuesday at like 11 a.m. Because when you build businesses, you don't have to work in. You could do that if you want. <laughs> and I was like, hey, can I try the five-question process on you? You know, and I was like, so what's your most present problem right now? And she was in her third trimester of pregnancy. And she's like, oh, nausea. And so then I get to go through that process. And like after she was done, she came up with this product idea that she was going to pay 50 bucks for. And I would find an acupuncturist or a naturopathic doctor to outsource the creation. I wouldn't build it myself. And it was amazing after she did that, she went and made herself some ginger tea to help with her nausea because by just doing the five-question process, by having her think through her own issue, she came up with her own solution. So it's a really pleasurable process. These five questions are very simple. Startfromzero.com forward slash five. Try that out. If you like that, then, then I would recommend grabbing the book, but you don't need to get the book or anything until you've tried that process and you see if that works for you. It's really fun. If you do that, you can do the five question process like five times with the same person in different contexts. Cause you can ask, you know, what's your most present problem when you're browsing Facebook? What's your most present problems in the morning? What's your most consistent problem with dinner? And then you can go through the rest of the four questions with one person and you start building the brain and you're like, oh my God, it really is an abundant world. And I got to tell you, the difference between scarcity, which is so deeply programmed in us, and abundance is probably, it's beyond my imagination, but I, I think it's at least 10x, 10x wealth. You know, like I'm talking to a guy who could be a competitor and I'm not going to, like, I don't want to share my idea with him because I think he's going to take it. I put my hand on my heart metaphorically because I was with him and I said, is this safe to share? And my heart said, yes. And so my body was just coursing with fear, scarcity, and I trusted my heart and I told him the idea. And not only did he love the idea, but he wanted to promote it to his entire list of customers and he doesn't want to compete either. And now he might actually sit on the board for this new SaaS business I'm launching. Cool. I went from like not telling an idea from fear and scarcity to like trusting my heart and sharing it. And it's way more than probably way more than 10x, you know? So one of the best things you could literally do is believe in literal abundance as a way of life, as as a frequency. And that five question process will really just knock down the door of belief that there's no ideas you can do, 
There's no good ideas anymore. You just keep knocking away at that. And then you just come from this place of literal abundance as you can be like the 15 plus millionaires that I have that if you took what they had away from them, the how they knew to do it would just build their next thing right away, faster than they were. Dane, for the listener who wants to find you, follow you, certainly you gave the link to your website there. And, and, and I'll have that, of course, for the listeners, you know, in the action plan, jimharshowjr.com slash action. I have the action plan from all the notes and takeaways from this episode. I'll have all your social media links, et cetera, in there as well. But anyway, but go ahead, Dane, tell us, tell us where they can find you, follow you, et cetera. Come say hi at startfromzero.com. It's a beautiful website. It's a work of art. It is. Thank you. Thank nice you. We're, ready, we're getting ready to launch a new version of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well... Listeners, I hope you do check it out and explore that opportunity for yourself. Thanks for having me, Jim. Thank you. Yeah, well, thank you so much for making time to come on the show. My pleasure. And for the listener, as always, until next time, take the time to get clear on your goals and embrace failure as a stepping stone on your path to success.